Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Social Contract, a Commander podcast. I'm Mike Almond, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Alex Lapp. Alex, what's up, man? Not too much, Mike. Happy to be here, and it's good to be back. Good yeah. Good to be uh, back in the studio as it were recording again. Right. The studio uh, of our it's, houses. It's, yeah, the, stu- yeah. The, the studios across the country in the different areas, uh, and we're adding an extra studio uh, today in, in a completely new uh, house and location. Also joining us is someone who takes all of the dumbed-down strategy that I talk about and you make relevant and, and you know more thoughtful, uh, and they're going to take all of that and, and just smart it up. A lot. Uh, so, author of the Solve the Equation articles on EDHREC, it's Benjamin Nickel. Ben! Thank you, for, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Uh, so, uh, we're going to get into the articles themselves, but uh, I like to go ahead and do the, you know, tell us a bit about yourself, and then... I also want to know like where people can find all your stuff because they don't, you know, sometimes people like to skip all of that audio at the end. It, it, all right. No, they're doing the credits. No, you're getting the credits up front. So uh, tell us about yourself. So I'm uh, from the Detroit area. So I'm over in Michigan uh, and I am relatively new to Commander. Actually, I started playing in, in about 2019 and I just absolutely okay. fell in love with the game. Um, yeah. And I'm writing over okay, at EDH Rec now. I, I actually just started. I've, I've been able to, to put out three articles there, uh, as well as starting kind of a, a fledgling YouTube channel and a TikTok channel where I'm talking about Budget Commander. It's a, a little bit of a different spin, oh, cool. less, less mathy, um, but it's, it's been pretty fun. And that's Budget MTG Shorts. Perfect. Well, I like that. I, I mean, it. I was, I was talking to you a little bit before, and, you know, not to gush too much, uh, but... You you have a really cool strategic way uh, on the articles on EDH, EDH Rec about talking about the game three and the strategy inside of the game and some deck techs and some kind of different ways to build and why you build the way that you do with those uh, decks themselves. Um, you said you recently you know started playing uh, Commander uh, only a few years ago, uh, so. What what is your playstyle like? I, I know we've gone a couple of different directions on your articles so far, but like, what kind of game are you looking for? What are you looking to play? So honestly, I think more than a than a specific playstyle, I like decks that let me and my opponents make a lot of different decisions. I, I you could really mm-hmm. tell that by a lot of the the card choices I made in my latest article. But I just like making making little decisions and and making my opponents kind of have a, a little mini game uh, within our game of Commander. I think. Potentially my all-time yeah. favorite card is Fact or Fiction, and that's just a, a little mini game in itself. That's that 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 leans really heavily into what Alex and I like to do uh, here. Because I I mean Alex, would you say that our our entire goal is you know as a social contract we want to have the most enjoyable experience for everyone. We're all working together for the goal of having fun, right? Absolutely, Mike. I couldn't have put it better myself. Yeah, so that's really cool. Um, so. All right, let's get into the nitty gritty here because, yeah, uh, Factor Fiction, really cool card. It's a game inside of a game, and we're talking about the games inside of the game, and in this case, the game theory, too. So, Ben, talk to me about Solve the Equation. Uh, where did the concept come from? What 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 is it about? Tell me a little bit about this. You've got three articles on there, but I'm excited to see what's coming next each time. Yeah, I, I think I, I really wanted to dive a little bit deeper in, into the math um, behind magic. I take maybe a, a deeper look than, than a lot of people do in their more casual deck brewing sessions. But I think a lot of the, the strategy and, and probability that I'm applying in my articles is what we do more subconsciously when we're designing decks. And it really builds off a lot of the things that you learn naturally while you play magic. I think one of the the first things I learned playing Magic was that I needed to put card draw in my decks. And I, I looked at a card mm-hmm. like Opt that says draw a card. And I, I thought that that was card draw. But when I when I really played more and took a deeper look at it, I realized that that's more of a card selection card. It's not really giving me that advantage. And I think that kind of that, that catalyst was what really pushed me to looking more into the math and, and seeing what makes cards tick why like what makes especially card advantage work and i just really went down a rabbit hole and, and got into the the nitty-gritty the the math and the probability of it and i was excited to to share with people on edh rack yeah I, I mean looking at 
some some of some of it I I see and I'm like I totally understand that. And then uh there was I th- I think it was I don't remember if it was your first or second article. Uh but looking at the I think it was your first article with uh Tatsunari mm-hmm. where you were going with you were you started it with with formulas that I went oh man I am going back to high school and early college level trying to remember integers and expressions and oh my gosh and you 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 populated that into an area where it's like okay no I I'm catching up now and it is one of those things that I like how you put it it is the math and the ways of looking at things that people might do subconsciously but now it's applying the actual fact to it and the actual science and the actual math and it's a it's a really cool concept yeah absolutely and and luckily magic players on average are very smart it's a complicated game so it's kind of a prerequisite to to be able to figure out some of these things and and there's so many resources online um even like i'm i know this stuff pretty well and i'm still learning each day and and there's so many things out Mm -hmm. there that you can look at that can really help you optimize this without having to you know figure out those equations that you did back in high school alex you hear that on average we're pretty smart oh that's good to know yeah i i mean like you're you're you you are smart so i mean like if it's average and i'm like almost smart i can actually live with that because again (laughs) if we're a package deal that's that's okay i do enjoy your articles and and the most recent one that you wrote ben which uh, just so happens to be Right in our wheelhouse, talking about political cards, talking about cards that can benefit your opponents and the uh, mathematics about them uh, immediately got me excited, right? Because I've been waiting for somebody to write about this for some time. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about this article, uh, Mm -hmm. Solve the Equation Game Theory Basics. Yeah, and it came at a really good time, too, because at the moment we're seeing some of the the spoilers for new Capenna role. And it looks like there's definitely some of these political um, council's oh, dilemma yeah. type cards coming in, especially the, the commander pre-gons. Oh yeah. No, there's uh, we're, we're going to do our, uh, our, our, our review. And for us, we don't, we don't go with like the, Oh, these are the biggest cards or these are the most powerful cards. We do more of the like, Oh, look at this weird group hug card or mm-hmm. look at this card that, People are definitely going to sleep on, but and, and man, Alex, I am going to gush about that counter spell that is in there. Oh, we're so going to talk much. about that counter spell. I'm so excited about that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it is. It's one of those things where the idea of game theory in Magic, uh, I feel like game theory is this misconception because people it, people say it's game theory. Oh, it's like oh, it's the way that you are going to just do it right. Uh, and you actually looked into the uh, definition of it. So the analysis of a situation involving conflicting interests, as in business or military strategy, in terms of games, gains and losses among opposing players. All that really is, is the idea of weighing the benefits of all of us are against each other. That's how the game is played. Mm-hmm. But we can have the same interest, we can have conflicting interest, but we're all against each other and weighing all of our options. And I think that what you build into it specifically with this deck is the idea of, hey, I'm going to build in a lot of game in the game. Yeah, I'm going to build a lot of options and a lot of choices and a lot of things where everybody's going to have to make some decisions. And personally, I dig that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was really exciting to build, and I think I'm I I love playing all the different colors of Magic, so I'm frequently drawn to five color commanders, which can very quickly become just good stuff commanders. So it's it's fun mm-hmm. to kind of force myself into a lane, force myself into the the theme of making mini games and, and forcing my opponents to make decisions rather than just running them over with all the best cards from all five colors. Yeah, you got your pick of the litter with five color commanders lately. Yeah. We've just mm-hmm. gotten so many. And, sure. Uh, Kenrith is is an interesting choice. I uh, that one stood out to me initially when it got spoiled because of its potential for group hug. Yeah, and it's one of those. I am always scared whenever I see a five color commander without knowing anything else because it's one of two things. It's either like you just said, it is a 
I am going to run you over or I'm going to control the game or the tempo of the game with all of the best stuff in all of the colors of magic. Or what it seems like in this case where it's, hey, this is my commander that I have because I need to have all of the options available yeah. for all of the themes of having the options available for everybody. And, you know, the, the first one I'm leaning into, because you lean into it really early, uh, the political tools and commander and talking about tempt with discovery and the temp cycle as a whole, as far as a, it's a really cool decision to make people play uh, command zone. They're very big on if anybody ever gives you a temp with discovery, the answer is no. You've ruined and them. You, it's just like no, it's it's it, yeah. You ruin them with yeah. go ahead and you get go, your strip go mine. Get the ghost quarter, yeah, yeah. Or you say no, and you go into the actual math on it, and you bring up the freaking prisoners dilemma, <laughs> and it's it's this science and the okay. Everybody has like the idea of what it would be. Let's apply the actual math and the actual science to it. So, uh, can you talk to me a little bit about like? I, I just rambled there forever because again, I'm really interested in this. Can you can you go into the okay? You have tempt with discovery in there as a feature card. Why do you have it there? And then we can kind of dive into the rest. I picked tempt with discovery for a couple reasons. I think it's a the whole tempt cycle is a really good way to explain the prisoner's dilemma and game theory in general. The prisoner's dilemma mm -hmm. is is the most famous example of game theory, and it's very sure. simple and magic is not very simple so i thought it'd be good <laughs> to start with a card that a lot of people are familiar with and that plays um relatively smoothly it's it's definitely a lot more complicated than the traditional prisoner's dilemma because it involves more players but i thought it was a, a good place to start no i like it and and for anybody not super familiar with the prisoner's dilemma it, the entire premise is that you can choose A or B. Choosing A is something where if the other person against you also chooses it, you're both in trouble. But if they don't choose it, you're going to be good and they're going to have to deal with all of the consequences. If you both choose B, you both suffer a little bit, but not nearly as much. But if you choose B and they choose A, you deal with all the, the, the actual punishment and everything and they're off free. It is a thought process of how far is the benefit and gambling off of that and taking that versus the punishment that you can take uh, that you can receive if you make the wrong decision the difference here in that in that process of thinking is that i feel like most people when they're playing the game of magic they don't use the ability to table talk as much as they should no <laughs> like it, it's 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 yes there's priority right and and it and essentially the decision is made in turn of priority whenever it's a you know go around the table or each opponent or each player kind of an effect but you have the ability to have this conversation yeah and you break it down to where hey if we really want to go off of this okay and we take temp with discovery the really important thing is what the first person does yeah. after the person who casts it and I like that. Can, can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that, that that applies to a, a lot of the cards like this. Uh, another one that I didn't get to, to touch on as much is... Um, yeah, I'm blanking on the name for a second, of course. Um, Druid of Purification. Uh, Druid, yeah. of, Druid of Purification is a, a really interesting card because if the first person makes the decision to, to just select their own permanent that was first selected and everybody else follows suit, then it, it's really just an, an overcosted reclamation sage. But it will almost mm -hmm. never play out that way. Um, and that's because the, the first person gets greedy a lot of the time. And I think one of the interesting things with, with all of these cards is just how things have changed. Um, we're playing a lot more digital magic nowadays, and table talks mm -hmm. not necessarily a, as smooth as it would normally be. So I think more established playgroups... Um, can more easily make the decision to to not take the tempting offer, but you trust people even less when you're when you're playing over spell table or, or in some other way. And I think that that really adds another interesting layer to all of these cards. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, I concur on that. That's something I noticed almost immediately as soon as 
the pandemic started, we started playing online, that uh, Group Hug definitely has that additional barrier. There's that veil mm-hmm. that gets added on that uh, seems to make cutting deals, uh, altruism being political in general, and uh, just all the things that we love to do. It, it makes it a little bit harder, like you were saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, heck, even even uh, this weekend, I, I you know, my normal playgroup, we had somebody else uh, come into the playgroup, right? Uh, friend of friend of a friend found out they played magic. Hey, come on over. We're going to play magic this weekend. Um, and it was one of those things where super nice person, right? They were playing a little bit more powerful than our than our normal play group, but they were very kind about it, and there wasn't a big deal. Um, but at one point, I was playing my Vivictus deck, and I very clearly did not choose the biggest threat that everybody had to be removed on Vivictus's trigger, where I can choose something for them to sacrifice. And they were the player to my right, and they just went, "Oh no, no, that's no, that's not the right move. Please don't do that." And I was like, "No, it's it's." It's early in the game. If they win next turn, then yeah, it wasn't the right move. But sometimes it's just about doing the thing that's going to be the most fun, yeah, right? Absolutely. And, and that completely goes in the other direction of what I normally do with something like uh, the Will of the Council or uh, the card you bring up, Druid of Purification. And I'm kind of interested to get your take on my take, if that makes sense. Uh, I've said a couple of times that my strategy, if I play something like Druid of Purification, where when Druid of Purification enters the battlefield, starting with you, each player may choose an artifact or enchantment you don't control. Destroy each permanent chosen this way. What I like to do with Druid of Purification is I'm not going to target the biggest threat. I want to target the second biggest threat by someone who's across from me, like not the next immediate person. Um, That's more with Will of the Council, but my goal is I'm not going to take care of the biggest threat because somebody else is going to take care of the biggest threat yeah. after me. And I, I want to try and get the most value out of this. Otherwise, like you said, it just becomes a really expensive reclamation stage. Does that kind of coincide and make sense with the idea of getting this game theory correct? Yeah, I think so. It's it's a really interesting decision and your opponents are, are weighing it a little bit differently than you are if you cast the spell of course you are also you had spent the mana and you spent a card on this so the decision's mm-hmm. a little bit different for you um in that case you really do want to maximize how many things get destroyed and your opponents mm-hmm. uh, are in a really tricky spot and if if you're someone who's being targeted and you don't perceive your your artifact or your enchantment to be the biggest threat of course you're gonna you're gonna take out something else that's bigger because you don't want your thing to be the the only thing that's blown up and then you're still staring down something even scarier like a like a bolus's citadel or something so i do think that that's a a good way as a player casting the spell to really maximize um kind of use usually the players against themselves like they're they're going to take their chance to to get rid of the thing that's causing them issues i think especially if you if you know someone's deck is being shut down by by a rule of law effect or something you know that they're going to take it out if they have the chance so you might as well mm. take something else out that um, you know they wouldn't, they don't care that much about, but you'll be able to get two permanents that way. So basically, what you're saying is my strategy is right when it works, but when it doesn't work, it's not right. <laughs> Isn't that how magic always works? It, it's perfectly. I, I, you know, frankly, that is kind of yeah. Did it work? Did you die? Then, mm. then it was great. Good job. Like <laughs> that. All right, that that checks out. Um, Alex, what what questions do you have for Ben here? Yeah, I uh, I find your article really interesting, as I was saying earlier, and uh, the Tempting Cycle, Tempting Offers, uh, Tempt With cards, definitely an interesting one. I'm a little curious as to if you have any input on the uh, mathematics side about more, I'm call them altruistic actions, right? If we're talking about not the tempt with cards, but say the joined forces cards, for example, which are a very similar cycle, except in those, everybody combines their resources uh, and then everybody gets basically a copy of what everybody put in. If one person puts in one, everybody else puts in five. Well, that's going to be 16 for everybody, right? So that's sort of this slightly different angle on... Uh, I guess it would still fall within that purview of game theory. Can you yeah. comment on cards like that? 
I think, and, and I don't include many of the, the Joint Forces cards, I, I don't know if I have any in my, my Kenrith deck that I built, and I think the, the biggest difference here is that you as the caster are spending a card to, to have that effect, and everybody's getting the, the bonus, and usually the, the bonus is, is equal, everybody's having the, the same reward. So in, in that case, you are getting a, a good effect, and oftentimes an opponent is, is using mana to contribute to it, but you're the one who's, who's going down a card, and you're not, it, even if everybody draws eight cards, you'll still be down one overall. Okay, so there's almost, there has to be a benefit outside of the card doing what the card does for your deck and for your synergy for you to want to include it. Exactly. I think, and I don't think that that's the only reason to include cards. I think some of these cards sure. are just crazy fun to play. I think from a, yeah. <laughs> a mathematical standpoint, if you're just trying to maximize your deck and make it as good as you can, you really need that additional synergy. In general, most of the cards in these decks have options that will be more consistent, especially if your your opponents are, are making the, the correct decision every time. But sometimes mm -hmm. I think it's fun just to, to play these cards and, and have a, a more interesting game. Yeah, that is like the that. interesting thing, right, is because we are running these cards that are group hug or they're political and they give big value to our opponents, which really is uh, is something that bucks that, you know, sort of simplistic way that the game is played where everyone's in it for themselves. Maybe they make a deal here or there. We're coming to the table with the gifts, with the offerings, with the tempting offers. And uh, and I think that that's, that's something that's really interesting. I'd, I'd like to see, because I've seen online, not too much talking about this, but a little bit of research about people looking into uh, altruistic actions and how that figures into game theory. I was just curious if you had any insight on that. So, okay. Uh, that's, you know, the tempting offers, that's the joint forces. There's a bunch of synergies like that. I mean, I, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about our favorite pet card, Alex, Veteran Explorer. Veteran Explorer. Um, just because it is another one of those things where there can be a benefit depending on how you use it. Uh, are you familiar with Veteran Explorer? Yes, Andrew? I am. Okay. So I, I have gotten to the point where I think I like it too much <laughs> because if I have a green deck, it's in it just because... For for my whole theme, even if I'm playing something, you know that I'm I'm starting to make a like an actual competitive deck, but really I'm still sitting there doing the it just it just I want to have one to play if that's something that the group is is excited about because they're it, I'm 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 experiencing a little bit of power uh, power creep in my group to where it's it's one of those things where it's like okay. I'm going to build a competitive deck because you all seem to want to play more competitive. We'll, we'll have that and then we'll have it so we can play that deck, right? And then we'll do all of the other fun stuff that we normally do. The problem is I still like putting too many pet cards <laughs> into decks and Veteran Explorer is definitely the big one because in my head I'm saying, oh, well, it's fine. As long as I kill it on my turn, I'll still get the same benefit of everybody else. And maybe it's a blocker, so it's going to prevent a little bit of damage that would come through at some point, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think about the idea of giving resources for the sake of giving resources? Because right, I basically goal. play, yeah. yeah, I basically play it because I just want people to have things and I'm going to take advantage of them better because of the way that I'm building my deck. I'm expecting to have extra resources. But when you get into building that in a competitive way, it, it, it's harder for me to justify. I'm still going to do it. Don't get me wrong. It just, I'm not sure it's going to be as optimal right. it doesn't, as yeah. I would expect it to be. It's not truly about being optimal, right? It's No. It's uh, about playing the sort of outside-the-box strategy. The style. That, yeah. Right. It doesn't, I mean, it's, it's almost like you're playing a second game outside of the game. <laughs> right. And the problem is, is that I'm I'm trying to take that re I'm trying to take that fun, and I'm trying to give it a different gift wrapping to put it into my competitive box right, or to put it into work. my optimization yeah. box. It it does because I'm 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 very good at lying to myself about it. Like, oh, oh yeah, no, it's okay. gonna it's okay. gonna no, this is gonna block somebody else's four four, mm. uh, and that's gonna that's gonna be a net win for me. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna play your veteran explorer. They play their meta crypts. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's yeah. perfect. Uh, but 
that's what I'm saying. Like there's it there's so much math that you can put into it. And I really like that you've done that. You've looked into the actual formulas for like literally again going into what are the chances that I am going to get a rat colony versus a vehicle based on how I'm building things and hypergeometric prob uh, probabilities and there it is. all of these things mm -hmm. that you're doing and I'm going I've done this thinking just in the dumbed down way. Yeah. <laughs> or, yes. Hypergeometric or, analysis is just an excellent tool. I'm really gl glad that you've also written about that because I know it really just the word scares people off, but yeah. it allows you to get insights about your deck that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. I was just happy that I pronounced it correctly the first <laughs> try. So I don't have to edit that through. It, or four it times. sounds enough like hypergenesis that you already knew how to say I it. was, so, I, you know what? I was close. I wasn't sure why. That makes sense. Yeah. There, one, one nice thing I discovered actually while writing, writing my second article was that there are a ton of resources online that'll do the math for you. Uh, exactly. My first article, I, I sat down and, and did a lot of math, scribbled around in a notebook and, and made it hard on myself. But um, the second time around, I, I actually linked to uh, to a source where you can go and, and punch in the numbers yourself and you don't have to worry about um, trying to remember high school, college level math. Oh, we didn't learn hypergeometric analysis even in college. I think I, I never took a, a college level stats class. I don't blame you. I, as much as I, I like math, uh, and talking about magic, pretty much every other circumstance, I I don't not I do not like math. Yeah. Well, there's your plug. We got to bring it up every time when you're building a deck. Use the hypergeo. Yeah, I was gonna say I learned it a a couple days ago after I read your article, and then we've talked about it before. Aether, um, we've talked about it before, but I didn't know that's what it was called. And you might have said that, but I think you said hypergeometric. And All I right, went, well, you uh, heard it here first, Ben. He listens to you more than he listens to me. <laughs> no, I got no. I think it was because I got to see it rather than just hear it. I, I figured out that I am a tactile and I am a uh, I'm a visual learner more than an audible one. So I apologize. Well, let's but now uh, I know. <laughs> let's condense down all of our our big thinking ideas ben and yeah and and just give us the sort of the the cliffs notes on this one note right so we've heard from us we've heard from people like the command zone who are optimal very not about group hug uh what is the play and i'm sure you can pull this from your article what's the play when uh when someone else casts a template discovery what should you do I really think it, it is playgroup dependent. Uh, and I know that's mm -hmm. a, a little bit of a cop-out from having to give a, an exact oh, answer. No, I, that's the right answer. Yeah, that's what we wanted to hear, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're with a, a group and... Because in, in theory, the way that the rules in the game actually play out is it goes by priority in each player. But that's not how it plays out if you're at a table with your friends. You're going to be able to discuss it. In general, I think it's better not to take it, but it's way more fun to take it, oh, especially if you're you're one mana off your commander and, and you you're not thinking too much about um about what the player who's gonna get four lands out of the deal is doing. Um I I will say one interesting thing is is a bunch of people brought up to me after this article came out, um, the whole argument of, of grab your strip mine, grab your wasteland. And the math doesn't actually change that much if everybody does it versus if mm -hmm. they just let the person search up one land. It's still going to come out with them being one land ahead. Maybe it's a less optimal land. Maybe if you're really worried about them grabbing Field of the Dead, that, that might be a good strategy. But mathematically, it's still going to leave them one land ahead. So you're really just kind of getting your strip mine out of the way. Hmm. Which is fair. Especially if you got, I mean, I guess if you've got an entire play group that that would be their goal, then you're probably planning for that. And I guess you're, right. I don't know if the you're thing using is that we, discovery at that point. We do the math differently, don't we, right? Like I take the land because A, I want a land, but B, I also want my opponent to have a land. Well, I think it also comes down to the like, okay, that's the group hug aspect of it, right? Let's go to the not group hug aspect of it. Ristic study. It, it, it uh, go into, uh, oh gosh, what's the white card? Um, Smothering tide. Smothering thank tide, you yeah. again. These ones where it's I'm going to play this card, and you have to deny me resources by using your own resources from now on. By not paying, I'm giving you the gift of you yeah. getting the thing. I'm well, giving and, you a gift, and I'm not paying. 
And we look at it that way. And I think in a vacuum, that's wrong. Because they're <laughs> the one, because here's the thing, for me and you, we love it and it's fun, right? And the people that are playing like us where it's about, uh, we want everybody to have resources, yeah, we want, we want everybody to, to do fun. the big splashy plays. But as far as, oh, I'm giving you the gift of not doing it, even if I could, well, it's not really a gift. It's I'm not going to pay to inconvenience myself to inconvenience you for the thing that you play, etc. As far as like a strategy, it's probably suboptimal, but it's less fun. It's less Absolutely. interesting. That's the thing is we say suboptimal, right? We keep saying that playing group hug, playing politically, playing altruistically is suboptimal. Just what in a I'm, vacuum. Just and, in right, a vacuum. What I'm saying is that it's not because of this meta game. That right, we're playing, and it, not just because it helps people have more fun, but because it also has the potential to literally be optimal and help us win that game. Mm-hmm. It can be. It can. It can be a benefit. It so often and, is, and yeah. and you're right. Because I mean, I we were talking about it, and Ben, you mentioned it specifically, and we we were both enthused. You said the right answer. It depends on your play group. Mm-hmm. There are yeah. so many plays where if I have the same seven card hand. We're for one play group for another, my sequencing is going to be totally different because, oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to hold back and I'm going to try and I'm going to slow roll some stuff because I don't want to be a threat versus, oh, I can play whatever I want because this person won last game. So everybody's going to gang up on them regardless of what's happening because they don't want them to win two games in a row. Yeah, absolutely. I, I dig I dig that even in the strategy of everything and then breaking down into the actual like, all right, so what is the best decision? Well, f- frankly, it depends on your play group. But if we look at the math, if we look at this, if we look at the sequencing, it's going to have some answers. But the real answer is, I don't know, how's your play group play? Are they yeah. going to enjoy this? Are, Are you, you playing going to enjoy this? In which case, do you it. probably shouldn't even run the card because they're all going to ghost quarter you. Well, I, I'm not going to lie. One day we're going to do it. If you're One playing with us in our group, you should run it because I guarantee you we're all going to take it. Oh, well, here's the thing. I, I, we're the play group that's going to say, hey, I'd like to copy that spell. <laughs> I'd like to copy that spell. <laughs> give a copy to me. Give a copy to you. Yeah. Everybody, everybody gets a tempt with discovery. Yeah. <laughs> everybody now, do you want to be tempted? Lands. How many times do you want to be tempted? Like four? I dig that. Yeah. That would be a f- that would be a fun game. There's a lot of – I mean, I'm just so excited. Obviously, we can't talk about it yet, but – there are so many new and interesting political cards in uh, the upcoming set, Streets of New Capena, that I'm excited to talk about on our next episode. Yeah, which will be coming soon, I promise. Uh, with that said, Ben, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna lean a little bit out of the article and the strategy for now, just because we're talking about the fun. So I want to know what you have the most fun with. What what are you what do you like playing? Like, what is your most fun deck that you currently have? Are you a are you a brewer and you're constantly making new stuff or do you have a couple of decks that you like to stick to? So I, I wasn't always a brewer. And then at some point during the pandemic, I just pulled apart all my decks and started making okay. like a, a new deck every other day. Um, I, I've, sl- oh, wow. I've slowed down on, on that a bit now. I'm, I maybe just had a little bit too much free time on my hands. But um, <laughs> one of the decks that, that I like to play recently is, is Omnath Locus of Creation. And it's okay. definitely a deck where I really love the commander. I love um, all the sequencing that I need to do. Mm-hmm. But it's this deck where if I build it very powerfully, it will play that way. It, it has a very high ceiling. So it's a, a fun deck to put a ton of political cards in. And there's so many great um, political or decision-making cards in those colors. Um, Guide Passage is one of my favorite uh, cards yes, ever, yes. and it's a, a really passage. fun one to play oh. in that deck. And I, I originally had built the deck powerful, powerfully, and I had an Eladomri's Call in there, and I yep. tutored up the same creature every time. And I was like, I'm gonna take this out. I'm gonna get a Guided Passage for fifty cents or whatever it costs online, and it's it's always more fun. And there's there's so many different ways you can use it, and different deals you can make with your opponents to to really get the most fun out of it. I love asking an opponent, I can I can deal with this threat if you also give me this other thing in return. And it, it's just a really fun mm-hmm. card. We love that card yeah. so much. That's one of my favorites. But Ben, you, you have to know the best reason, the most important reason to run Guided Passage. It's so you can show off your deck to all your opponents. <laughs> they have Absolutely. to look at every single card. You make them. 
<laughs> Reveal your library. Hey, Have what fun. do you guys think about that? It's like, wow, this deck is awesome. <laughs> oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Oh, shower me with more praise. I am mm-hmm. a good brewer. Because they're trying to figure out, and, and that's the interesting thing about it, right, is even when they're playing quote-unquote optimally and you don't strike a deal or you're playing on game nights and they refuse to strike a deal, <laughs> um, what what's the worst they're going to do? They're going to give you the worst creature in your deck, the worst land in your deck, and the worst non-creature, non-land in your deck. You built your deck. Those are still cards that you want to play. Yeah. yeah. That's still three mana for three cards yeah. and getting a selected value. And the other thing, you said it yourself, I can deal with this threat. But you also need to get me this and this. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they don't do that, if there's a threat that's worth getting rid of, that's still I'm gonna get rid of this threat and get two more cards for three mana. Yeah. Great. That's that's good for everybody. At all, oh, look at me. I am a hero. Please don't kill me immediately. Unless you're the person who I just removed the threat from because love that, you might be mad. It's incredible. Guided Guided Passage is a good one. It's non creature, non land, non creature, non land, right? It's creature, land, non-creature, non Oh, sorry, creature. Yeah, I I said it, but I put too many nons in there. Yeah. It's a very, a very confusing text box to, to try to relay verbally. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's another one of those. Sarah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. It, like, listen, that's <laughs> what it says. Here's what it does. Yeah, everybody, I'm going to I'm going to play I'm going to draw a card and then I'm going to play a land. You may all either draw a card or play a land. That's all it is. But. In the sequencing, or play land. I do both. Yeah, it's just there's magic magic cards, especially especially the farther back you get to where (laughs) you need to have Scryfall open on your phone if you were basically playing with cards made before like old language uh, enabled them to be 1999. As as unbelievable as that is, that weird language let them use fewer words, and now with new Oracle templating, now those cards are even longer. Mm -hmm. Right, makes sense. I, I I do love the fact that. Little little tiny things like making mill an actual keyword or an yeah. actual thing still took forever. Yeah. Right. So now you How can go back. How long have we been using the word mill? Like decades. Oh, yeah. It's it's been a bit. It's been a minute. And 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 now it's no longer takes the top card or takes the card from the top of their library and puts it into their graveyard. Mill. Great. Think well, of all that ink. Speaking of weird rule stuff, if now is a good time to segue. Into Absolutely. That. Um, I did have something that's not topical by means of this card just got spoiled, but is topical mm-hmm. by means of uh, the Command Zone just had an episode on it at time yep. of recording. And uh, I also saw a video online by a, uh, a small magic channel that is making uh, some short video essays. They're both talking about the same interaction, and that's mm-hmm. uh, Silvala Explorer returned and failing to cast a spell. Um the the video essay was a little bit more clear on this, but the Command Zone podcast, unfortunately, to say uh, they did not even say the word that I'm about to say, and it's a very important word, and that word is cheating, right? It's a dirty word. We don't like to hear it. We don't like to talk about it. But this interaction is is cheating. So let's go ahead and talk about what that is. And, sure. uh, and why it's cheating and what all that is. Let's start and with especially Sil- since I have a Silvala Explorer return deck, right. and now I'm a little concerned. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't worry about that. Okay, I'm not. A, I'm not cheating. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> okay, so let's start with the card itself. Uh, Silvala Explorer return. She's a uh, rare from Conspiracy reprinted in 2016. Commander. We know her. We love her. She's phenomenal. Silvala. Uh, one green white that's three mana for a legendary creature elf scout with parlay tap and each player reveals the top card of their library for each non-land card revealed this way add green and gain one life then each player draws a card and she's a two four um you know we're getting a new parlay ability soon that's neither here nor there but it's uh, exciting stuff anyway so the relevant information on this card is rather what isn't printed on it because this is a mana ability, right? A mana ability is any ability that you can activate or trigger that has the potential to add mana and isn't also a loyalty ability, which this is. And it has the potential to add anywhere between zero and number of people in your pod amount of green mana, say four. But you don't know what that's going to be. It could be zero, one, two, three, or four. But since this is a mana ability, it can be activated at times that only mana abilities can be activated, for example, when you are in the middle of casting a spell, right? That might be a little bit weird to hear. Um, We've talked about this briefly before, but 
casting a spell, uh, activating mana abilities and paying the cost, that happens last, right? Usually we do that first, right? We tap all our mana before we even reveal the card yeah, that we're we casting. float the mana right, to then the cast the spell. Which you're allowed yeah. to do. That's not against yeah. the rules. You can do that. And it's totally fine. We just... We do it, all of us that play magic the way that you used, you're used to seeing magic, we're all doing it weird. Yeah. But it's the way that we all do it. So right. it make, yeah, keep going. That way is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with floating your mana, but the time when it's, it's actually time to activate those abilities and pay is in the middle of casting the spell, right? It's at the very end that we finally pay those, those costs. And during that time, we can only activate mana abilities right we can't just go ahead and start casting another spell in the middle of our spell we can't just start playing lands and drawing cards and searching our library and all that stuff unless the mana ability is making you do those things which is in the case of Silvala's mana ability right she's having everybody reveal the top card of their library and then draw a card right so why is this relevant well the specific interaction is combining those two things right so vala draws a card and you don't know how much mana you're going to get if you attempt to cast a spell and say that spell is cmc five so you're going to need four non-lands revealed on zavala to, to add that four green mana and tap your one other land to get to that five but let's say that you don't get it obviously it's possible that somebody reveals a land so you don't get all the mana that you could have gotten well, now you don't have enough mana to cast a spell, which means you performed an illegal action. Not cheating yet, but an illegal action, which means we're going to rewind the game state back to before you attempted to take that action, right? You have to have the mana to cast the spell, but we don't have it. So we rewind, which is fine. We just untap the lands, untap the mana ability. But one thing you can't rewind is that drawn card. Right, That's information gained. Even if you could take that card and put it back on top of your library, which you could, the the cat's out of the bag, right? You know what you drew. Everybody knows what everybody drew, in fact. So that information can't be put back. You can't put back that information and thereby you've gained an advantage without having to expend any resources at all, right? You didn't tap Zovala. She got untapped. You didn't uh, have to spend any mana to cast a spell. All of that got untapped as well. So when we've taken an illegal action to gain an advantage on purpose, that is meeting the, the, uh, the definition of cheating in the game of Magic. So let's go ahead and briefly look at that in the uh, Infraction Procedure Guide. Okay. We have cheating that uh, if a player breaks a rule of the tournament and necessarily they are attempting to gain advantage and they're aware that they're performing that illegal action that breaks the rules, right? So if you just accidentally like, oh my gosh, I don't actually have enough mana. Ostensibly, that's not against the rules, right? We can just wind back. But People who are doing this trick with Sovala, who are recommending it on the command zone and talking about it on YouTube videos, like it's this cool, neat trick that you can do to gain information about your opponents without spending any resources, is like, wow, what a neat little trick you can do. You're gaining advantage, right? And you know you're doing it. So that is cheating. And uh, and it would be a DQ, which is so unfortunate, right? Because... When players think of cheating, they think of malicious actions like, oh, well, I'm just going to stack or mana weave my deck, or I'm going to look sure. at my opponent's cards, or I'm going to put a earpiece in my ear and get coached by somebody in the audience. You know, something uh, like that that is so extremely heinous and people would obviously recognize it as cheating. But breaking the rules of magic at all on purpose to gain an advantage is cheating. And uh, and I think that's important to recognize because this interaction, um, for example, between Silvala and Panglacial Worm, or really it doesn't need to even be Panglacial Worm. It can be any spell that you mm -hmm. just incidentally happen to not be able to afford when she doesn't give you maximum mana. Uh, that is not illegal interaction. And even though Commander is almost always not sanctioned, uh, we still wouldn't 
want you to be cheating at a, a commander game casual or not, Mike. Um, so I think it's it's just a uh, it's a shame or a misrepresentation, right? For for content creators to talk about this interaction without talking mm-hmm. about how exploiting it would in fact be cheating. Fair enough. I, I and and I appreciate that. I I I followed. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I followed what that you were saying. That was really complex. I, I understand. However, yeah. I, my 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 sticking point is the idea of cheating being malicious and 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 going into it. And I just imagined like being at the center of this like Yu-Gi-Oh arena with a whole lot of people watching and like yeah. cheering, and I'm just standing there with a with like an earpiece that's hidden and you just being in the crowd saying play your command tower you dummy just do it and that being the kind of cheating that i would actually enjoy yeah so i appreciate that well you know but yeah that is kind of weird yeah it yeah no and and it is kind of it is kind of weird how there is like this hey this is what this does and the rules are the way that they are because it has to prevent against you know some kind of the aggressive actions that you can do with stuff like that right but also you can be cheating by just not knowing how the sequencing on that works and well, how no, you should do it. I, I need to be very, very clear. Yeah. It's not cheating if you weren't aware exactly. of this interaction and you're not attempting to take advantage, right? The IPG says there's no such thing as accidental cheating. If you right. aren't aware that it's against the rules, which now you are, you're welcome, it's not cheating. <laughs> See, now now everybody who's listened, uh, you no longer have the benefit of the doubt because you yeah. know. Hear that? So, so we've taken that 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 cheating. Well, we've we've taken that right. o- oops and turned it into a cheating. Well, the, so don't fire uh, the arrow. The reason why this is a problem is because uh, I, I, that video essay really put it mm-hmm. well, and, and we'll throw a link to it. Um, okay, you're cheating by taking actions that are allowed within the game and all fall within normal actions that you could take within the game, right? As opposed to doing mm-hmm. cheating by getting coached in your Yu-Gi-Oh tournament, right? So <laughs> I think the the obvious solution here is the dirty word, functional errata, right? Magic hates doing it. Sometimes it's necessary. This uh, mana ability should be slowed down by adding the clause that Savala can only be activated at instant speed. And instant speed, uh, even though it's the same... Uh, you know, functional speed is a mana ability. The difference is that instant speed abilities can't be activated while you are casting a spell, right? And so this whole problem simply wouldn't exist. You would have to float it. Fair enough. All right. Well, before we before we wrap up our episode here, again, going into the strategy and the sequencing and making sure you're doing things the right way, if not the most efficient way, but at least the way that's going to make sense and going to be the most fun. Uh Ben, I wanted to ask you, as someone who's looked into some of the theory on everything and how you want things to actually go to have the most sustained success, regardless of whatever that success is, do you have any suggestions for our listeners on how they can apply deeper strategy to their games? I think it really comes down to just thinking critically about both your deck building and your your in-game actions thinking about what you're gaining and what you're giving up with each interaction that that really is important both within making decisions like with this temp cycle during the game but also in your deck building and in which cards you you choose to include and then i think it's just also really important to to focus on your goal and your goal can be different i know there are a lot of people when when this article came out who were were saying things on on reddit or even in the comments um just about how these cards are are not the optimal play and i think they aren't the optimal play if your goal is to win every time, but for many people, that's not their goal. And I think having your goal in mind is really important when you're deck building, because if you know your goal is to, to have fun and, and build a deck that's uh, on a similar power level of, of all your, your play group, then I think you can, you can use math to do more than just make your deck the best it can possibly be. You can use this math and this decision making to make your deck the most fun experience for everybody and to really get the goal that you you want out of your your magic nights. So I just think that all these things are are important to consider both as you're building your deck, but then also as you're playing it. I really like how you put it as, as, you know, uh, critically thinking about how you're going to do things according to your goals. Because let's be real. If you're not building a CDH deck, 
your number one goal isn't to win the game every time as much as possible. Your goal is to do something that your deck is built to do and have fun doing it that way. And you can definitely want to win. Winning can be one of the highest priorities. But if you're not trying to build the most efficient, optimal, everything it can possibly be deck, it's about winning while being competitive in your playgroup or doing something stupid. I made a Thantis deck and the entire deck is based off the idea of I'm going to give everybody access to all of their creatures as much as possible because yeah, awesome. I just want the board to be big and stupid and flooded and I don't care what everything is. I just want it to all be swinging and it's stuff like that. My biggest goal with that deck is not to win. It's about getting a crowded battlefield Yeah, and that's kind of where it goes into when you're thinking about how to apply deeper strategy to your deck. The first thing that you have to do is you have to just say, well, what does the deck want to do? What do I want to do with the deck? And then you apply the strategy with it. And you've given a lot of really cool resources to doing that and really efficient ways to doing that. Um, and speaking of which, uh, Ben, if people wanted to know how to find the kind of percentages of the cards that they would be wanting to pull based off of uh, their enchantment decks and using their hypo or hyper geometric calculator, I knew I was going to screw it up at one point. <laughs> um, and talking about the political cards and commander and their uh, uh, application, things along those lines, and anything else that you're going to be doing, uh, where can they find you again? You can check out my my articles on EDH Rec under the articles page. I write an article every other Tuesday, uh, so you can check them out there. I, I'd appreciate you to, to leave a comment, check out the, the posts on Reddit. I'd love to hear your feedback and, and what you think of the decks and, and what you think of the cards that I talk about. Alex, if anybody had more questions about trying to not... I don't know how to phrase this. If anybody had questions to not play things accidentally wrong and they wanted to avoid cheating after they found... A Alex, where do people call, uh, talk to you if they have a question about how the game is played? Sure, Mike. Uh, I mean, you probably want to send me a, a letter. <laughs> There's no accidental cheating. Anyway, you can find me exactly. at, uh, on Twitter at Lappermedic, L-A-P-P-E-R-M-E-D-I-C. Uh, or you can email me in private. That's uh, Alex R. Lapp, A-L-E-X-R-L-A-P-P, at gmail.com. I also have uh, another project called the Commander Spellbook with EDH Rec that is a search engine for Commander combos. So if you're excited about our upcoming episode where we'll talk about Streets of New Capina, you've been following the spoilers, and you want to see some new Capina combos that you can put into your deck, head on over to commanderspellbook.com. Capina combos is a fun thing to say. Capina combo. Capina combo. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe and rate the podcast. If you want to buy any of the cards we talked about, deck boxes, sleeves, etc., you can support us by going to bit.ly slash EDH underscore social. Uh, there you're going to go to our TCG player link. Uh, you can buy all the stuff that you would normally buy, but you're going to be able to help us out in the process. That's pretty cool. Thank you for that. Uh, we have a Discord link in the show notes. Go there to submit cards for, ooh, can I see that? Ask our honorable judge, Alex, a question. Or if you've got cool suggestions for guests, maybe you have an in. Maybe you know people like Ben. And we should be talking to cool people like Ben. I agree. Go in there, hang out with us, talk to us. Uh, we like our Discord community a lot, and they bring a lot of cool things to the table, which we discuss for you here. Uh, until the next time that we have something cool to discuss, we'll talk to you soon.